Oh, wonderful. L lovely. Yeah, I think we've already announced Sunday school is on. So children, please join the Zoom room where Sunday school is happening. All right. It's been wonderful. I really enjoyed the whole morning thus far, just worshiping God, enjoyed everything. So that, that was good. The great presence of God with us this morning. Now, you know, when you come to eating, there are two kinds of food. Okay. One is you can have milk and you can have solid food. Anthea is having milk, whereas her parents are having solid food. And, and in the word of God as well. If you look at Hebrews chapter 5, it talks about the distinction between these two types of food. It says in Hebrews chapter 5, uh, verse 13, says, uh, if you go, yeah, anyone who lives on milk, being still an infant, is not acquainted with the teaching about righteousness. But solid food is for the mature, who by constant use have trained themselves to distinguish good from evil. Therefore, let us leave the elementary teachings about Christ and, and go on to maturity, etc. Okay, so, um, so this is my first notice to you saying that what we're going to do today may be a little bit challenging to understand. Okay, so you need to hang in there. You need to have your, have your Bibles ready, a notebook to take down notes and uh, and receive God's word because you're going to get some solid food and it'll challenge your thinking this morning. Okay, we, we are continuing in our expo exposition of the book of Genesis and uh, I left off a couple of weeks ago at Genesis chapter 14. Genesis chapter 14 and, and we didn't complete what we, a few verses in Genesis chapter 14, they were left out. So we're going to read those three verses. So Genesis chapter 14, and we look at verse 17 onwards. Okay, Genesis chapter 14, verse 17 onwards. After Abraham returned from defeating Kedor Lamor and the kings allied with him, the king of Sodom came out to meet him in the valley of Shaveh, that is the king's valley. Then Melchizedek, king of Salem, brought out bread and wine. He was priest of God Most High, and he blessed Abraham, saying, Blessed be Abraham by God Most High, creator of heaven and earth. And blessed be God Most High, who delivered your enemies into your hands. Then Abraham gave him a tenth of everything. Verse 21 goes on to say, The king of Sodom said to Abraham, Give me the people and keep the goods for yourself. But Abraham said to the king of Sodom, I have raised my hand to the Lord God Most High, creator of heaven and earth, and I've taken an oath that I will accept nothing belonging to you, not even a thread or the thong of a sandal, so that you will never be able to say, I made Abraham rich. I will accept nothing but what my men have eaten and the share that belongs to the men who went with me, to Aner, Eshkol, and Mamre. Let them have their share. Let's pray this morning. Father, we thank you for your word. Your word is living, it's eternal, it is life transforming, it is powerful. Lord, as we come to your word, I ask that your Holy Spirit would anoint me as I proclaim and as I herald this truth. May your Holy Spirit open our hearts and open our minds 
and open our spirits to receive your word, Lord, that we would have understanding and we would have obedience. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Okay, so Genesis 14, just a quick review, is a battle of kings. Okay, we have a battle of kings where five, four kings attack five kings and defeat them. And what they do after defeating them is they take the people, they take the plunder captive and, and, and leave, leave the plains. And as they leave the place, they also take Lot. You remember Lot was Abraham's nephew. And uh, just to recap, he chose to live near Sodom as he parted ways with Abraham. Bad choice. And uh, he is taken captive as well. Now, when Abraham hears of this, Abraham rounds up the 300 plus men, trained men in his own house. He gathers a few allies and they chase these four victorious kings 130 miles, 100 and, sorry, 130 miles, 180 kilometers away to the north. And, and they, they travel and in the night they attack these kings and they recover all the bounty and they rescue Lot. And that's what happened. So Abraham is now on his way back. And on his way back, it says he meets two kings on his return. That's in verses 17 to 24. Okay, so it's a little confusing. There are, it says he's on his way back. And on his way back, suddenly, it says that the king of Sodom came out to meet him. That's in verse 17. And then in verse 18, it jumps and it brings another king. Then Melchizedek, king of Salem, brought out bread and wine. You know, so it's a little bit... It seems to be mixed up. What happened? So, so we'll, we'll unravel this. So there were two kings, the king of Sodom, the king of Salem. Okay? And uh, with the king of Sodom, this is how he deals with them. Very quickly, we'll look at it. Look at verse 21. The king of Sodom said to Abraham, Give me the people and keep the goods for yourself. Now the king of Sodom was not being generous. He had been, you know, Abraham had rescued people. He had rescued, he had captured back all the bounty the gold, the silver that had been taken away by these kings. And the custom was that what you, what you recovered in battle was yours to keep. And so that's what the king of Sodom said. Hey, you've recovered it. You keep the gold. You keep the silver. You keep everything. Just give me back my people. But this is what Abraham said to him. Abraham said, listen, I'm not going to take even a thread from you. Okay, so that you will never be able to say that I made Abraham rich. I'm giving back everything to you, except for the men who went, the allies, they need their share, you know, and so forth, and we're giving that. So that, that was his dealing with King of Sodom. Okay, so Abraham took nothing from him. He gave him back his people. He gave him back his goods. We see Abraham's heart of generosity there. Wonderful. Okay, but our focus this morning is on verses 18, 19, 20, 21, uh, and 20. Three words. Three verses. And, and we're going to read them again. Then Melchizedek, king of Salem, brought out bread and wine. He was priest of God Most High. And he blessed Abraham, saying, Blessed be Abraham by, by God Most High, creator of heaven and earth. And blessed be God Most High, who delivered your enemies into your hands. Then Abraham gave him a tenth of everything. Who is this Melchizedek? You know, he's a mysterious figure. And he suddenly appears... Here in this account in Genesis 14. And then you know what happens? For the next 1,000 years, we don't hear of him. <laughs> Here he is in Genesis 14. 
Suddenly he comes in, you know, and then three verses, that's all, three verses about him. And then for the next 1,000 years, we don't hear about him. And then 1,000 years later, in Psalm 110, a psalm that King David wrote, there's a mention of Melchizedek. And we're going to look at that. Remember, I told you this is solid food. It's like chewing a strong piece of meat. It's going to take focus and concentration. Psalm 110, verse 1. The Lord says to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool for your feet. Verse 2, the Lord will extend your mighty scepter from Zion and you will rule in the midst of your enemies. And verse 4, the Lord has sworn and will not change his mind. You are a priest forever in the order of Melchizedek. Isn't that amazing? Genesis 14, Melchizedek appears. 1,000 years, no sign of him. And then in Psalm 110, he appears again. One Psalm. One verse. <laughs> okay. And then we don't hear of him for another 1,000 years. Because then in Hebrews chapter 5, 6, and 7 is when he makes his appearance again. And, and, and more exposition, a more explanation is given as to who is this mysterious figure of Melchizedek. Okay. So let, let's, let's open this up out again. Okay. So, first of all, Abraham's defeating the enemies was really an act of God. It was because God was with him. And Melchizedek says that as well in verse 20. And blessed be God most high, who delivered your enemies into your hands. So let's remember, it wasn't Abraham's fighting skills or his armies that was with him, the people. It was God who enabled him to have the victory. Now, let's look at who's this, who's this Melchizedek. So, Melchizedek means this. Melech means king and Zedek means righteousness. So, he was the king of righteousness. Wow, amazing. And he was also the king of Salem, which means peace, shalom. King of righteousness and king of peace. And, and we look at what he did. This is what he did when Abraham came. Okay, And these three verses are significant, full of rich symbolism. He was priest most high. Verse 18, he brought out bread and wine. Interesting, bread and wine. Okay, and then that's the first thing he did. And then he blessed Abraham. So he brought out bread and wine. He blessed Abraham, prayed for him. And then Abraham did something. Then Abraham gave him a tenth of everything. That means Abraham tithed to Melchizedek. Now, you know, often when we read through the Old Testament, we just pass over these verses. Three verses, Melchizedek, you don't know where he is, you don't know anything about him. But these verses have deep and profound meaning. They are casually mentioned, but there is huge significance. Remember I've said the Old Testament is the New Testament concealed. The New Testament is the Old Testament revealed. And we often pass over these verses, but these words are spirit and they are life. God has breathed into them the very truths of heaven, eternal things that shall not pass away. And these three verses contain the character and the significance of our Lord Jesus himself. Wow. Okay. So these verses point to our Lord Jesus Christ. 
If we have eyes to see, we will see them. Why am I saying that? Remember, in Psalm 110, we looked at that earlier. And in Psalm 110, David says, The Lord said to my Lord, The Lord said to my Lord, uh, Sit at my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool for your feet. The Lord says to my okay? So, this is a very confusing thing. The Lord said to my Lord, you know, sit at my right hand until I make a, a footstool for your feet. Who is this Lord? And then verse 4 gives us a, a clue. The Lord has sworn and will not change his mind. You are a priest forever in the order of Melchizedek. Okay, that's what he says. And then if you look at uh, the New Testament, okay, when, when, when Jesus, when, when Jesus... Uh, he, 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 he asked the people, okay, I think the reference is in Matthew 22, verse 44. Okay. And uh, he says this. This verse, he says, look, look at verse, uh, verse 41 onwards, Matthew 22. While the Pharisees were gathered together, Jesus asked them, What do you think about the Christ or the Messiah? Whose son is he? And they said, he is the son of David. They replied, the Pharisees were well versed in the law. Then he said to them, okay, verse 43. He said to them, how is it then that David, speaking by the Spirit, calls him Lord? If David, if the, if the, if the Messiah or the Christ is the son of David, you know, son, grandson, is a descendant of David, how does David call him Lord? Okay, for, for, for David says, the Lord said to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I put your enemies under your feet. If then David calls him Lord, how can he be his son? Because really, you know, David should have been greater. Just no one could say a word in reply. And from that day onwards, no one dared ask him any more questions. Okay, and, and so I'll tell you how David could call him Lord. Because... The Messiah was not only the son of David, but he was also the son of God. He was the son of Adam, the son of Abraham, and the son of David, and the son of God. So that was the mystery. Okay, so 1,000 years later, David wrote this. And 1,000 years later, Jesus as well quoted it and brought it up. So it's an important verse. And then a and then. You know, a few years later, the author of Hebrews writes about it again. So let's let's look at what, what is this king of righteousness? What is this king Melchizedek? So Genesis 14 tells us. Uh, we'll, sorry, we'll turn to we'll turn to um, Hebrews chapter six. We go to, we'll just start at Hebrews. We will look at where Melchizedek is mentioned in Hebrews. Okay, so in Hebrews chapter 5, first of all, it says in verse 6, Hebrews 5, verse 6, and he says in another place, You are a priest forever in the order of Melchizedek. Okay, and in Hebrews chapter 7, it talks more about Melchizedek. He says, This Melchizedek was king of Salem and the priest of God Most High. He met Abraham from returning from the defeat of the kings and blessed him. And Abraham gave him a tenth of everything. 
First his name means king of righteousness, then also king of Salem means king of peace. Without father or mother, without genealogy, without beginning of days or end of life, like the son of God, he remains a priest forever. So what has all of this got to do with us who are living 2000 years later from this time? Okay, so how do we unravel all this? What, what do we do all this? What is this thing? Okay, so first of all, let me say that uh, in Genesis chapter 14, is the first mention of war in the Bible. It's the first mention of a priest in the Bible. And it's the first mention of tithing in the Bible. All right, so Genesis is a book of beginnings. Now, we're going to understand, what is this? So really what, what we've understood so far is there is a man, a person called Melchizedek, who was a priest and he was a king. Okay, that's what happened. He met Abraham, Abraham and uh, coming from the battle, and Abraham received bread and wine from him. And in return, Abraham gave him tithes and Melchizedek blessed him. Okay, that's what it is. Now, what is the significance of a priest? You know, we are not, in our modern day, we are not familiar with a priest. But what is the significance of a priest? I'll tell you what it is. You see, man from time immemorial has realized somewhere that he is a sinner. And, and, and there is a God out there, whatever you call this God, different religions use different terminology. But there is a God and man knows that he's a sinner and he, says he needs to make peace with God. And so in every, almost every religion, in every, uh, you know, what, whatever religion it is throughout all the ages of time, this is what men have tried to do. One is they have offered sacrifices to God, sacrifices to appease this God and make peace with God. And the second thing they've done is they've offered, they've given offerings to God to please Him. Sacrifices for sin, offering to please God. Okay, that's what they've done. And... Now, what men realize is, listen, you know, we are, we are unworthy, so they, they would appoint a priest who would stand in the, would be a mediator between man and between God, and that is what he would do, the priest. He would receive and make offerings for sin, I mean, uh, sacrifices for sin on behalf of the people, and he would take offerings from people to give to God. And in, in turn, this is what he would do. He would bless and he would pray for the people. So that is the understanding of the priesthood. And this person, Melchizedek, this is what he does. Okay, this is exactly what he does with Abraham. Okay, we see bread and wine, and we look at the symbolism later, but that really signifies, you know, the bread and wine. In the New Testament, we see the remembrance is a sacrifice of Jesus. Okay, he receives tithes, those are the offerings of Abraham, and he blesses and he prays for Abraham. Now, this thing about priesthood, okay, happened, was then continued to the time, in the time of Moses. If you look at Moses and the Levitical priesthood, all the priests came from the Levites. And this is what the priests do. If you read through Leviticus, the book of Leviticus, chapter 1, chapter 2, they offered sacrifices, sheep and goats, sacrifices for sin. And they received offerings from the people, offerings of uh, Grain offering and other love offerings, fellowship offerings, livestock, grain. They received offerings from people and they prayed and they blessed the people. Numbers 6, 24 and 26, familiar verses. The Lord bless you and keep you and make his face shine upon you. Okay, so this is what the priests did. Now, what was 
unique about this Levitical priesthood was that a priest could only be a priest, he could not be a king. And a king could only be a king, he could not be a priest. The two could not go together. And as we go through the Old Testament, we find that there were a few instances where some priests decided, uh, sorry, some kings became proud and powerful. And they said, hey, why should only the priests do that job of ministering to God? I can also do it. And one example of that is King Uzziah in chapter, in 2 Chronicles chapter 2, verse 26. 2 Chronicles chapter 2, verse 26. And it talks about King Uzziah, who was a wonderful king. He was a, he was a great king, a rich king, a powerful, successful, wise king. But at the end of his reign, look at verse uh, Genesis, sorry, 2 Chronicles chapter 26, and we look at verse 16 onwards. But after Uzziah became powerful, his pride led to his downfall. He was unfaithful to the Lord his God and entered, how was he unfaithful? He entered the temple to burn incense on the, to burn incense on the altar of incense. That was something only the priest had to do. Azariah the priest and other 80 courageous priests followed him. They confronted him. And the end of it is this. Just while he was about to burn incense, okay, he was struck with leprosy. What, verse 19. While he was raging at the priest in their presence before the incense altar in the Lord's temple, leprosy broke out on his forehead. And that was he was afflicted with it. And for the rest of his life, he had to live separated because of his sin. So, the way God ordained the Levitical priesthood was that the king would rule, the priest would minister. The two functions would never come together. You remember King Saul, same thing happened. He was the king, he was a nobody, he became a king. And then he decided to offer the sacrifice. And the moment he did that, the prophet Samuel said, you've blown it, you're going to lose the kingship. Okay, but. Here we see that King Melchizedek was a king and a priest. Now, that's very strange. And, and what Psalm 110 tells us that there is going to come a Messiah. There is going to come a person who's going to be a king and he is going to be a priest. Okay, that's what's going to happen. And then we turn to Hebrews chapter 7. Let's turn to Hebrews chapter 7. And, and we see that, uh, look, look, at verse, look, look at verse 4. It says, just think how great he was. This is talking about Melchizedek, this mysterious figure. That even the patriarch Abraham gave him a tenth of the plunder. What does that mean? Abraham tithed to Melchizedek. Okay. Very interesting. And uh, it goes on to say, this man, however, did not trace, verse 6, did not trace his descent from Levi, Yet he collected a tenth from Abraham and blessed him who had the promises. And without doubt, the, the lesser person is blessed by the greater. So what is he saying? Here? He's saying that Melchizedek was greater than Abraham. Interesting. Okay. And uh, this, is, this is what it is. Now, we've got to say, what is God trying to tell us through all this? Okay. And we'll understand this is what is happening. At the time of Abraham, Melchizedek comes on the scene. He's a priest and a king. 500 years later, the Levitical system comes into being where there is 
either a priest or a king, not two in one. Okay, tithes are given to the priests at that time, that happens. And then, thousand year, 1500 years later, the book of Hebrews talks about Melchizedek in more detail. Now, what we've got to understand is the Old Testament is a shadow. Okay, what we see in the Old Testament, bulls and goats and sacrifices, is only a shadow. Have you seen a sh your shadow on a, day, on a sunny day? You know, it's got a form, but you can't make out all the details. But what we now have in, in Hebrews is throwing light on that shadow, or showing us what exactly this is all about. Okay, and so we're going to look at that. So the, remember the three things the priest did. Number one, he offered sacrifices. Okay, Hebrews chapter 9 says this. Verse 11. Hebrews 9 verse 11. When Christ came as high priest of the good things that are already here, he went through the greater and more perfect tabernacle that is not man-made. That is to say, not a part of his creation. He did not enter by means of the blood of goats and calves, but he entered the most holy place once and for all by his own blood, having obtained eternal redemption. You see what Jesus did? Okay, Jesus entered the heavenly tabernacle where he offered not the blood of goats and calves, he offered his own blood as a sacrifice for us. Okay, And he did this as a priest and as a king. So Jesus is a new kind of priest, king, in the order of Melchizedek that is superior to the Levitical priesthood. Okay, So remember the three things the priest does. He offers sacrifices for sin. You see that Jesus did that. He did it on the cross. And we, we see here that he did it. The second thing he does is the priest blesses and he prays for his people. We see Melchizedek did that. He blessed Abraham. That's what he did. What did Jesus do? Look at Hebrews chapter 7, verse 25. Hebrews chapter 7, verse 25. It says, Therefore, he is able to save completely those who come to God through him because he always lives to intercede for them. Wow. What is Jesus doing right now in heaven? He saved us on the cross. He's paid for our sins. But right now, he's keeping us. He is praying for you through all your challenges and difficulties. Okay, And he's able to save us completely because he is praying for us. Look at Jude chapter 24. Sorry, Jude chapter 1, verse 20, 24 and 25. Jude Chapter 1, verse 24 and 25. To him who is able to keep you from falling and to present you before his glorious presence without fault and with great joy. To the only God our Savior be glory, majesty, power and authority through Jesus Christ our Lord before all ages, both now and forevermore. Amen. Okay, so, so what have we seen here? Jesus fun performed those two functions of a priest. He offered sacrifices, that's his own body and blood, and he now pray, he's praying and he's interceding for us to see us through to glory. Aren't we a blessed people? Wow, we are blessed. What is Jesus doing now? He's interceding for you. Great, he will keep you to the end. You know, 
You've got to have full confidence that you will end this race well, that you will go to heaven. Why? Because Jesus is interceding and praying for you. We are blessed. Now, what, what is our role in all of this? What is our response to this great sacrifice, to this great blessing and prayer of Jesus? Well, our response is this. What was Abraham's response to Melchizedek? Okay. Abraham gave him a tithe of everything. That is what Abraham's response was. What is our response here? Look at this. Look at Hebrews chapter 7. Okay. Hebrews chapter 7 says this. This Verse 6 onwards. This man, talking about Melchizedek, however, did not trace his descent from Levi, yet he collected a tenth from Abraham and blessed him who had the promises. Okay? And without doubt, the lesser person is blessed by the greater. Now, this is important. In one case, the tenth or the tithe is collected by men who die. But in the other case, by him who is declared to be living. What does this mean? It means that although the tithes are collected by men who die, one day we will all pass off from this earth. But who's the real recipient of our giving? It's the one who is living. And that is Jesus. So what this shows us is, you know, Jesus has died for us. He loves us. He's praying for us. The response that we see here in, 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 uh, in, in uh, Genesis and in, Levit and, and in Hebrews is that our response is to gladly and willingly give our tithes to men, but really it is being collected in heaven by Jesus. Verse 9, one might even say that Levi who collects the tenth paid the tenth through Abraham because when Melchizedek met Abraham, Levi was still in the body of his ancestor. Okay, so, so that was what I wanted to share briefly, okay, about Melchizedek. There is so much more, we don't have time to it, okay? But just to summarize about Melchizedek, he's a priest and he's a king. Jesus is also a priest and a king, and he's not a Levitical priest coming from Levi, but he's coming from the line of Melchizedek. You know which is the most quoted Old Testament verse in the New Testament? These verses. Okay, he's a priest in the order of Melchizedek. Surely it must be important. Okay, for God to repeat it more than any other verse in the Old Testament, to repeat it first at Abraham's time, then a thousand years later at David's time, then a thousand years later, must be important. Deep and significant meaning. Okay, so I'm going to spend a few minutes now just fleshing out what does it mean? You know, we about to give. How much should we give? You know, what is the appropriate amount? Now, we, we, we've already spent much time in the past. You know, we know about Jesus and his sacrifice on the cross for our sins. And I think people are familiar with that. We know about Jesus blessing us and his love for us. We know about that. And now we're going to just cover this portion on giving. Because, now, you know, so that we have a fuller biblical understanding of how much should I give? Now think, think about this. Now imagine you have to pay for a cup of tea. Alright, you're paying for a cup of tea. And you go to a place, how much should you pay for that cup of tea? 
Well, it all depends on the place. If you, if you go to a chaiwala on the street, you may have to pay 15 rupees for a cup of tea. If you go to barista, or coffee day, or coffee jar, you may have to pay 100 rupees for a cup of tea. And if you go to the Taj Hotel, you know, one of the coffee shops there, I checked it up this morning, it's only 395 rupees for a cup of tea. Okay? So it depends, you know, so we want to make sure that we are giving what is appropriate. I mean, imagine if you go to the Taj Hotel and you order, sit down in this lap of luxury and order a cup of tea, and then you give him 15 rupees. You'll soon see the security. <laughs> you know, so how much is our appropriate giving? And we'll look at that. So in Genesis chapter 4, when we talk, when we see about Cain and Abel, that's the first mention of giving. Where, you know, this is, this is before any law or anything, but they received some revelation and they brought offerings to the Lord. Right in the fourth chapter of Genesis. So, if you look at any nation in the world, every religion, no matter what it is, there is giving. So the natural man has been built in such a way that we know that everything we have from God is from God and we want to give him something. So there is giving. Okay, so even unbelievers give, believers definitely should give. So that's the first mention of giving. In Genesis chapter 14, okay, now what I want to say is that the Bible is progressive revelation. Okay, what... Cain and Abel knew was little compared to what Abraham knew and then Moses knew even more and then David knew even more and then you have Daniel knew even more and then we come to the New Testament so progressive revelation okay so Cain and Abel just knew they had to give okay we don't know exactly what revelation they had Abraham received revelation he knew he had to give a 10% a tithe Jacob in Genesis 28 verse 20 wonderful verses look at him you know this is now before the law Genesis chapter 28 verse 20 and this is what he says this is Jacob he's leaving his parents he's going and he says then Jacob made a vow saying if God will be with me and will watch over me on this journey I am taking and will give me food to eat he's listen look at look at what he's asking for God you give me food to eat you give me clothes to wear so that I return safely to my father's house. He's going with nothing. Okay. Then the Lord will be my God. And this stone I have set up as a pillar will be God's house. And of all that you give me, I will give a tenth. This is Jacob. <laughs> it, it's, it's so amazing. You know, when Jacob leaves after spending, I don't know how many years, 14 plus years at, uh, at Laban's house. Okay. He returns and he, look, look, at, look at verse Genesis 31, verse 17. Then Jacob put his children and his wives on camels and he drove all his livestock ahead of him along with all the goods he had accumulated in Padan Aran. Wow. He was very, very wealthy. What was the commitment he made? He says, Lord, just give me food to eat. You know, just give me clothes to wear. I'll give you my tithes. God blessed him immensely immensely wow okay we're going to Jacob then we have you know now remember Jacob Abraham they somehow had a deep revelation from God okay and they gave their tithes before the law came but then after the law came okay after the law came 
Okay, there was revelation, there was inspiration, and it was solidified that you had to give a tenth. Okay, that, 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 so we don't have time to look at that, but you can look at Leviticus 27 verse 30. Leviticus 27 verse 30 says, the tithe of the land belongs to the Lord. Okay, Leviticus 27 verse 30. And then, so now I'm addressing people here who say, I don't know how much to give. I'm giving something, you know, but how much should I give? And then Malachi chapter 3 says this, where the people had stopped giving their tithes and God regarded it as very serious. In Malachi chapter 3, uh, God says this, verse 8, will a man rob God? Rob God, Lord, how can we rob you? He says, yet you rob me. Malachi chapter 3 verse 8. But you ask, how do we rob you? In tithes and offerings. You are under a curse, the whole nation of you, because you are robbing me. Bring, okay, so what is God saying here? The God is saying that the minimum acceptable giving is 10% of your income. When you don't do that, you are robbing God. And he says, when we do that, there is a curse. But he says, verse 10, bring the whole tithe into the storehouse that there may be food in my house. Test me in this, says the Lord, and see if I will not throw open the floodgates of heaven and pour out so much blessing that you will not have room enough for it. So God makes his promise. He says, listen, guys, test me in this. You start tithing, okay? And I will pour out so much blessing that you will not have room enough for it. Not only that, he says, I will prevent pests from devouring your crops and the wines in your fields will not cast your fruits as the Lord Almighty. And this is the God, you know, the Bible says, do not bring the Lord your God to the test. Do not test the Lord. But this is the only occasion where God says, test me, test me. And now, you know, at Word of Grace Church, many are faithfully tithing and giving. And this is just to commend you for your faithfulness and obeying God's word. But there will be others who are saying, I don't know what to give. How much to give? Well, today I want to tell you, this is what the Old Testament expected us to give. Okay, not the New Testament. We'll come to that in a bit. This is what the, and the promise of this, God is saying, I'm not making the promise to you. It's God. He's saying, I will bless you abundantly. I want to give you, you know, our own personal example. I, when I came to know about tithing, I, I started tithing as a student, not when I was working as a student. I was studying in college. My parents would send me some money to live on. And out of that, I would faithfully give 10%. Okay. God looked after me, provided, and then just carried on to our work days. Our kids have been doing the same thing. Their pocket money, they've been faithfully tithing. And... You know, just like Jacob, what did he have? Nothing. He had just a shirt on his back when he left. You know, you all know my story. I was living in Kuwait. The invasion took place. We lost everything. When I returned to India, all I had was 10,000 rupees. That's it. 10,000 rupees. But you know, that was exactly 30 years ago to the month. To the month. September, it happened. All right? When I came to India. Yeah. And today I look back at my life and see how the Lord has richly, richly blessed me. Okay. Abundance. And not just financially, but in every other way. And so when we are faithful to God in our giving, we will see the blessing of God. Okay. Now, some people say, you know, tithing is Old Testament. 
Now let me clarify that. Absolutely, you're right. It is Old Testament. And, okay, but what you're trying, really trying to say is tithing was under the law. But as we've seen just now, tithing was before the law. Abraham tithed. Jacob tithed. There was no law then. There was no Moses at that time. Okay, so it is more like an eternal principle. Secondly, as we turn to the New Testament, now some people say we are under grace in the New Testament. What does it mean to be under grace? Does it mean that you don't give 10%, you give 1%? No, let's see what it means. Okay, in, in Matthew chapter 5, when Jesus took the Old Testament law, okay, look, turn, come with me to Matthew chapter 5, we'll look at verse uh, 27. Matthew chapter 5, verse 27. Jesus said, You have heard that it was said, Do not commit adultery. That's one of the Ten Commandments. And Jesus says in Matthew chapter 5, verse 28, But I tell you that anyone who looks at a woman lustfully has already committed adultery with her in his heart. So what is Jesus doing? This was the Old Testament law. Don't commit adultery. Now Jesus raises the bar sky high. He says, If you only look you've already committed adultery. Okay? He does the same thing again. Look at verse 33. Again, you've heard that it was said to the people long ago, do not break your oath, but keep the oaths you have made. Oath is, I swear I will do this. This is what it was. But I tell you, he says, do not swear at all, either by heaven or by earth, for it is God's foot, or by Jerusalem. Do not swear on your head or anything. Simply let your yes be yes, your no, no. Anything beyond this comes from me. So what is Jesus saying? He's taking the Old Testament law and he's saying that standard is very low. The New Testament standard is much, much higher. Old Testament, an oath was valid. If I didn't swear, then I could break my word. Jesus is saying, if you say yes, do it. If you say no, don't do it. That's a higher standard. All right? So if 10% was the standard of the Old Testament, the New Testament standard is much, much higher higher okay and we see that the standard was higher in the in the new testament in second corinthians where people gave sacrificially they gave beyond what they could okay we, we look at barnabas who sold a field and placed it at the feet of the apostles we see that in acts okay? so i'd like to wind up by saying very quickly this is it we looked at melchizedek Jesus is a priest in the order of Melchizedek. That Old Testament character is important. Over three, over thousands of years, it has been repeated again and again. Jesus is now our high priest. He has offered himself as a sacrifice on the cross. He's praying, he's interceding for us. Our response is that we need to, in, in, from these verses, be faithful with giving our tithes. Okay? Just a few things, we don't have time to get into all of them, but how should we give? One is we need to give proportionately. Proportionately means whatever income we have, okay, a percentage of that. So is giving 10,000 in tithe a big tithe or a small tithe? Well, it all depends. If you're earning 5 lakhs, it's, a small, it's not a tithe, it's less. Okay, so proportionate giving. Secondly, we need to give passionately. Passionately is, now this is an issue of the heart. You know, we pay our taxes. We have no choice. 
I don't think any of you is rushing and saying, yes, I've got to pay my taxes. Wonderful. No, we, you know, it's, oh, I've got no choice. I've got to do it. But Jesus wants us to give passionately with love. In 1 Corinthians chapter 13, the, the chapter on love, Jesus says this. You know, 1 Corinthians chapter 13, verse 3. He says, if I give all I possess to the poor and surrender my body to the flames, but I have not love, I gain nothing. So if we don't give with love, we've got nothing. We've got to give generously. Okay? And when I'm talking about generously, the tithes is just the basic. Over and above that, we give our offerings, like we're giving to Jog. And that is over and above what we are tithing. And then we give sacrificially. It's got to pinch us. Okay? And then, of course, we've got to give with faith. He... Uh, I think Neil read this verse earlier. He who sows sparingly will reap sparingly. He who sows generously will reap generously. And we've got to give in faith, believing that God will bless us abundantly. So uh, I want to end our message this morning to say, if you've been faithful in your giving and your tithing, well done, wonderful, keep it up, God bless you. I know many of you have been well done. Thank you. It's because of your giving that we can give and do so much. Okay, so this is great. Now, for those of you who, are, who have not yet embarked on this wonderful obedience to Jesus, I want to encourage you to start. All right? You can start giving. Okay? That's what we need to do. Now, for those of us who have been giving for many years, you know, and as the Lord blesses us, as God increases our income, what, we want, what we've got to be careful to do is not just increase our standard of living, but to increase our standard of giving. All right, so that's a challenge to those of us who have been giving faithfully. We say, now listen, as God blesses us, continue to give more. And to, just for us to remember that as we are giving, it says we're giving to men who will die, but really the one who receives it is Jesus. So we've got to keep in mind that this is an eternal command given by the Lord and that we are giving to Jesus. And what motivates us is we see Jesus died for us and he's praying for us. He's done those two things. This is what we, one of the things we are called to do. Amen. We're going to end this morning and uh, um, we're going to pray. I want to pray for us. Pray for great blessing. Pray that we'll be able to be faithful to obey God's word as we've seen it span across thousands of years. Okay, if it was repeated so many times, it must be important. Okay, and uh, let's pray. Father, we just thank you so much for our time this morning. We pray that we will be faithful in worshipping you, in our tithes, in our offerings. I pray a blessing upon each one, that we would see abundance like J Abraham saw, like Jacob saw, Lord. That they would see abundance in their lives as we obey you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen.